this is Steve Kemp with the People Not Titles podcast, and I am so glad today to have my good friend, colleague, and um, business associate, Harry Bartosiak here from Bartosiak Law. Harry, thanks for being a part of the program. Steve, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Harry, uh, we've been doing business for a long time, and uh, you know, as you know, the podcast is really centered around uh, people's career journey um, and their steps to how they became the professional that they are. And so I admire you, uh, you do great work, your clients really rave about you. And so we just wanna dig, uh, dig down and talk a little bit about what makes Harry uh, tick. And so my first question is, were you born a lawyer? Uh, no, I was not. I, I can't sit here and say that, uh, you know, they have um, a history of attorneys in the family or that I was born to be a lawyer or that it's ingrained in me. Uh, matter of fact, um, I have to admit that one of the things that got me interested in what in uh, becoming an attorney was watching L.A. Law on TV in the okay. late 1980s. Seems frivolous, but, you know, at the time, uh, nowadays it seems like I know my kids going into college, everybody, there's a lot of pressure to figure out what you want to do in yeah. life right after that. Yep. Not so much when I was in my formative years. So, you know, watching... Uh, so L.A. Law, how old yeah. were you when you were watching L.A. Law and caught the vision? This is probably, uh, you know, early college or post okay. high school, whenever it was on, but I thought, hey, that seems like an exciting career. You get to sit in a nice conference room with other professionals maybe drive a nice car, those are interesting cases. Yeah. You know, sounds frivolous, but anyway, um, when I was exploring in college what it is I would like to do, you know, then I went to work at the law library, the University of Iowa. Okay. And I got interested okay. in the substance of the law. Yeah, uh, so little by little, I gravitated towards uh, the law, but absolutely, except for watching TV and seeing lawyers on TV, I didn't have any early uh, childhood or, or, or teenage years uh, inclination to do it. It just came up. Okay. Um, and so, did you go to law school at, at University of Iowa? No, I went to uh, law school at uh, Loyola University okay. in Chicago. My, my oldest daughter is a graduate oh, of Loyola. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, Fellow I love, Rambler. Yes. Yeah. I had a great experience there. Um, they have excellent teachers. You're in the heart of the city where there's jobs and opportunity. Uh, but uh, law school, uh, as good as an experience as it is, and as much as they teach you to think like a lawyer, you get very little practical training. A lot of us did. You can take clinics and things like that, but it didn't get a ton of practical training in how to practice law, how to do real estate closings, or how to, you know, do the deal with people, how to interact with clients. So it's been how a to long promote time. and build your business. How right? to build your business? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't recall any of that. I'm not right. criticizing. No, 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 no. Saying that's not what they do. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, as soon as I graduated, uh, I think we attended a bar. All of us had to take the bar exam, obviously. Well, I thought you were go went to the bar. Uh, well, <laughs> that too. I mean, you do what you got to do right. uh, to get through. But in any event, uh, at the end of it all, um, one of the one of my uh, mentors, one of the first place I worked, talked to us baby lawyers and said, "Congratulations, you now know." more about the law than you ever will in your entire career. Wow. And what he meant, he was right, but what he meant was, you know, more collectively about mm -hmm. substantive areas of the law. You know, anything from constitutional law to criminal law. Then you get a job and you focus and you narrow down. Mm -hmm. And eventually I ended up, you know, essentially being a real estate attorney, finding what I really And how soon do. after, uh, so you, gra you graduate, you have your law degree, what was next for you? Will you start hustling for a job or? Well, 
because the way it works a lot in law school is you'll get a job as a law clerk. Some students get a job with big firms uh, and they're you know on track to be hired by that firm. Some work for smaller firms, some for governmental agencies. I work for the Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission, which is the entity that disciplines attorneys and registers, as the name implies. Is that the ARDC? ARDC, okay. right. Which was a fascinating job. I learned a lot. Was it's that in Springfield? No, it is uh, arm, an arm of the Supreme Court out of Springfield, but they had a Chicago-based office. Okay. Yeah, so I worked downtown, and they actually do basically the equivalent of trials there. Mm -hmm. For you see the most serious cases of uh, ethical misconduct, uh, they have a hearing board made up of uh, different attorneys. Uh, attorneys are represented by lawyers who uh, specialize a lot of them in representing lawyers in trouble. And so you see a lot of what not to do. Mm -hmm. And it's all over the board from somebody who made on a mistake and then did something to make it worse or you know flat out stealing money yeah yeah so um it's not for me it wasn't the type of job i wanted to make a career of but it was great learning experience i was a law clerk for these hearing board members learning again how to think logically how to apply laws and regulations to real life situations and how to write writing in the law and it applies just as much to real estate transactions as it does to anything else is a critical communication skill. Mm -hmm. If you can't put forward a credible uh, presentation and argument, it's not just the argument, the way you say it. Too. Yeah. There's uh, stylistic considerations involved. Mm -hmm. And put your best foot forward. So I learned a ton, but as I say, that's not the kind of place I wanted to spend a career. Uh, although there's great people there that did make careers out of it. But I wanted to get into the real practicing world. So I moved. And how long was that? Oh, what was that? It was stint? about a two-year okay. stint. Okay. Just perfect. Yeah. Um, then I moved on to uh, get a job with a litigation firm, uh, first out in Wheaton and then out in the city. And then I found, I'm, I'm, at this point, I had nothing to do with real estate law. And are you litigating now? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. Because what happened was, during my stint as a litigator, I realized, oh my God, you know. This is not what I want to do. It doesn't fit my personality. Mm -hmm. I have nothing but respect for my colleagues that do litigation, and it's important. But my goal, I found it. I didn't like. It's. It, I like a situation where we're working for a client towards a common goal, something positive happening at the end. Mm -hmm. In litigation, I did medical malpractice, uh, other kinds of lawsuits. Nobody wants to be there. Uh, the job is difficult. You've got to do what you got to do, and you got somebody watching over your shoulder on the other side every minute. Mm -hmm. And I had it's you know, very adversarial, isn't it? Yeah, super adversarial. I found well, I'm just a young lawyer at this point. People are yelling at each other in depositions. I thought, you know, this needs to be done, but this is not. Yeah, my sounds life. like my dinner table uh, when I was young <laughs> yeah. with my brothers. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's very, it's fascinating. It would make for great TV shows. Yeah, right? I thought, yeah. I'm not gonna be a TV show lawyer. Like, all that right. LA law stuff, that's right. not gonna be for me. Right. Except maybe the, the guy they showed on there was doing a real estate deal. <laughs> so anyway, I kind of ran for the hills. I so that's that's a good point, Harry, is that you knew, you were self-aware enough yeah. that, hey, I, it's not just I'm gonna be any kind of lawyer, yeah. I, that you've decided there, that I need to be, I need to be happy and fulfilled in what I'm doing, and here's, here's what really resonates with me. That's right. Um, I felt that uh, my personality leaned towards resolving conflict, mm. uh, which I know litigators 
they work towards that too. Mm -hmm. But if I can get to the situation I felt where we're doing a business transaction, whether it's buying a home, buying a piece of real estate property, helping somebody build a, start a business, sell a business, contracts to make positive things happen, help people For make both, money. For both, right? Because yeah. when you sell a business, there's someone on the other end buying it saying, I like this and I like your price. That's right. And you need still, and I've done this for a long time now, you need to be a, a tough advocate for your client. There's no doubt that there is an adversarial component that can come up, but you're doing it in a different context. You're finding ways to get agreement from the other side to accomplish your client's goals, and you know they have to come out a winner too. Or, you know, I guess leverage is everything. Sometimes, you know, somebody could say, well, you could, you know, seller has no leverage, you can just railroad through. You don't like to operate with that mindset. You right. Try to find, let's make this happen in a way that our client agrees is positive. Uh, the other side is gonna come out a winner too. Uh, we need to be tough, detail-oriented. Uh, make sure that, uh, that all the, you know, the details are paid attention to and the client gets what they pay for uh, or gets the full purchase price they're entitled to on the sales side. But you're doing it in a positive context. We're making a good thing happen. Yes. And most importantly, uh, you know, what I found and that what really the job is for me and doing the quality work of the details is always job number one. But I love the fact that what you can do is help somebody with something they don't do every day. Yeah. Uh, they might be very sophisticated a business person. They might have no level of business experience, but this is an important task to buy real estate, to sell real estate, to do leases, to invest, to get a buy, something that they need help with. Yeah, and you have a level of expertise that they don't have that you're contributing to the transaction. Correct, and you can give them the comfort level they need to know they're in good hands and tell them what they need to worry about, what they don't need to worry about, what's normal, what's not normal. Um, that's when I can tell when I'm in the middle of the transactions and dealing with all kinds of different people, when I can feel that they're easing down a little bit and uh, you know from some fears or consternation they had about something they shouldn't really be worried about I know I'm adding that that my best value then that's fantastic yeah. so so okay you're in this litigation and then yeah. uh, in this lit lit litigation area then what was the turning point for you to say okay um, you know I need to get out of this I, I understand now where do you go from there where right so um, Good question, and this is a long time ago now, yeah. so the memory is not yeah. quite what it used to be, but uh, basically what happened is I was miserable at the job. Okay. And the people I worked with were great. I learned a lot from them, still lessons that I learned today, but it was just the nature of the position, so I sought out uh, uh, opportunities where I could ease into a transactional practice. Because, okay. you know, you do a lot of uh, soul searching and talk to, I talked to the, I still wasn't that far out of law school, so I talked to the advisors uh, there and uh, uh, got an opportunity to work with a large firm that had mostly a litigation practice, but had a um, decent sized transactional practice. This is about 150 lawyers, great firm in the city. And so I got myself um, hired there uh, and eventually became partner and worked with their transactional team. And it was a great opportunity because there were um, many quality and different types of transactions available, whether it's real estate or the business sales that I mentioned, uh, contracts of all different types. Um, and we had 100 some other attorneys that didn't do transactions and whenever even estate planning, when that would come up, you had a, a built-in um, 
referral source network. So I learned the ropes from some great attorneys there who taught me uh, valuable lessons, taught me the fundamentals, and I was able to spend the first few years of transactional practice working in an environment with lots of mentors, lots of support when I really needed it most. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So you made up your mind, Harry. You know, there's a lot of people that are miserable in their work, yeah. and you made up your mind that that you weren't going to be miserable in your work. I think it's a really key distinction that you know you spend a lot of time at work, right. and it's important uh, just from a life balance standpoint to say, okay, I want to I want to be happy in my work. I want to be fulfilled. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I have kids that are a certain age where they're uh, in college or about to be in college right now, and I talked with their mother, and I said, my rule is simply. You do what you love, what yeah. you think you love. Yeah. Let that be your guiding force. Now, nobody wants to be broke. You need right. to make money. No doubt. But um, I learned that. And there are elements to what you're doing yeah. that are unpleasant. You know, it's like every day yeah. is a unicorns and rainbows. Yeah. But generally speaking, you can look at your day and not dread it, right? right. And then feel, feel like uh, energy going into it. I think that, especially in our Jesus, like cliche, our changing world. Yeah, things seem to be going a little crazy out there. We don't know what the future holds for kids of that age, and I think that the best I can do is tell them find something that you're truly invested in. In terms of, it does it light your pilot light? Does it get you motivated? Yeah. If you wanted to do it every day, you're going to have all those troubles and trials and tribulations and have to dig in. And, but if you don't like underneath what you're doing as yes. a starting point, there's going to be trouble. Uh, and then be willing to adjust, Yeah, like I did. I don't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything dramatic, but uh, not patting myself on the back, but let's just say um, I'm a big supporter of uh, making a change if you just feel in your bones that you're not working with the grain of your personality. I like that, and you mentioned also mentors, and I was gonna ask you about who were the mentors, but what are some of the things the mentors did for you that were critical? So the, the mentors, first of all, you know, they'll, they'll show you the fundamentals. You know, here's here's the contract form. Here's what it means. Yeah. You know, uh, set up. Uh, you know, they would set up. You know, basically practice uh, sessions for me. To, you know, where you can't make a mistake that's going to harm anybody. I mean, you got to learn on the job because, as I said, law school teaches you such a broad array of things that if you don't have somebody, you, you can learn from the school of hard knocks, but you don't want to take a risk with the clients. Right, right. But more important than that, uh, you know, being available, having the door open down the hall to talk to, um, giving you lessons about the fact, you know, you learn early on that it's not just doing the job, that it's the delivery of the services that's important too. You have to recognize that type of client, that, as I talked about earlier, can be different. It could be a person who has no idea uh, you know how to do a contract uh, for uh, employment. They have no idea how to uh, what goes into the house sale process, uh, or it could be a sophisticated investor, and you need to do a ground lease for a property that they're going to develop and uh, lease to Burger King or something like yeah. that. You got to deal with those people differently. They have different expectations. Yeah. Underneath, you have to be yourself, but you have to be cognizant of the fact that um, they expect you to give them the comfort level that you know what you're doing and you're in good hands. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're a junior lawyer, that's not so easy. Matter yeah. of fact, it could be very, very difficult. You have no context, nothing under your feet yeah. to, to, for 
until you know it takes sometimes years until you're and that's ready. where you have to tap into that senior leadership and yes. that senior leadership has to be willing and patient enough right to teach a young buck like you at the time and yeah. say hey listen i'm gonna set aside what i have to do and i'm gonna build into harry that's, that's, exactly a, right. that's special when you find people like that through the course of your journey it's special when you look back and you go wow man i don't know if i'd have made it without this person building into me and it makes you want to maybe do it for somebody else that's exactly right no I would have never been able never been able to have my own practice or be the attorney I have or deliver the kind of service I had if I wasn't allowed if I didn't have this network of people and they come from all over not just the people I work for yes people from title companies yeah. that have helped me people from uh, you know real estate brokers yes I always think of it as we are I have my own practice right now I'm the only attorney in the and I enjoy it, but I don't really have my own practice. Mm -hmm. I have all these people that I've met over the years and lawyers that I work with actively on other matters that we have referrals for litigation. It's kind of like a, a law, floating law firm mm -hmm. of contacts mm -hmm. that you can go to where we help each other. You know, And it started off in a hardcore way where I needed the help the most and I look for opportunities now to help others. And that's yes. one of the reasons I love real estate is because you get a chance to work with so many different real estate brokers who are a lot of times very entrepreneurial, sometimes building up their business from the beginning, even ones who are seasoned professionals. We've got to all constantly be out there working to in increase or maintain you know, business. It's not an automatic pilot usually in, in right. the transactional right. world. So there's a lot of opportunities to, to help each other. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, whether it's through traditional marketing or just something something to bounce off somebody, maybe making a referral uh, for something that you have an overload matter. Um, you know, I have some real estate broker friends that change in the brokerage that they work for and there's uncertainty. You want to compare notes, what are you hearing and uh, what's the, you know, the, the low down the scoop in the legal market. Um, so uh, even in my sole practice, where it would be easy, you know, to just work on my own. I never work on my own. That's not my. my You're very process. collaborative. You know, Harry. Um, when at what point in your career? You know, I, I'm a big believer that no matter whether you someone else is writing you out a paycheck, or whether you're writing out your own paycheck, that you're really working for yourself the whole time. And was there a point in time where you shifted from I'm an employee to I am, you know, Harry Bartosiak Incorporated? Yes. Uh, for sure, and I think I can trace it back to around about the, the 2008 real estate yep. market collapse. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a rough go, obviously, and um, that's what gave me the impetus to get out there and start my own practice. This larger firm that I had worked for, great place, at one point um, felt that I was kind of growing out of the, the, I guess, the systems and capabilities they had to handle larger real estate transactions. Okay. Not that they didn't have quality people there, but they just the setup was more for litigation. So I went to work for a real estate boutique firm. Uh, and then after that, the market collapsed. It wasn't as much business that I had on my own. It wasn't a natural flow of work. I'm back to working for the larger firm. Things weren't the way they used to be before. Uh, I did have some of my own clients, but not, you know, I didn't have my own practice built up at that point. Then the larger firm, this was not a great time for anybody. So things were, you know, uh, kind of a rocky road. You know, nobody's getting fired or anything like that, but you start to become 
you know, cognizant of the fact that there's no job security unless you have your own clients. They're not all gonna walk away at once, even in a transactional practice where work isn't guaranteed. That's the best form of job security. And then I'm getting old enough by that point where I realize, you know, I'm entrepreneurial. I want, I don't want to just have my wagon tied to somebody else yeah. 100%. If I don't know what I'm doing by now, uh, you know, I'm the substance, I, I never will. And I'm running a business, I know a little bit, let's find out if we can do it. So that's so, still a risk. People just think, oh, because you're a lawyer, you're an entrepreneur. But that's not necessarily the truth, right? No. That you have to shift to that, you know, that. You have to shift to that mindset. And yeah. it was a big shift. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget. Uh, and I had one of my mentors there tell me, you're ready for your own practice. You can wow. do it. And that meant a that's lot. powerful, yeah. Yeah. But it didn't make me feel as it didn't give me a complete comfort level when I was laying in bed after the first few weeks realizing, oh yeah, I don't have a paycheck. Right, <laughs> right. So there was a shock to the system. It took me about a year. You yes. Know? Now they say, you know, if you read the books and start your own law firm, your own practice, here's the way you do it. You have six months or a year's salary saved up. You have all the, and I already at this point have right. you know, three kids. It's not working all, all right. perfect that right. way. So on the other hand, you know, it was a, I got out there and hustled. It was a great emphasis. You keep overhead low. You learn some good lessons, um, and I made it. You know, yes. We still, we made it. We didn't have to live in a cardboard box. Right. And I started to build business back up that right. way. So that was a life changing experience. I realized I might not be the world's smartest entrepreneur, but I can do it. Well, you know, Harry, I think that's a great distinction. When someone, if an agent is watching yeah. this or a business owner. They're looking at someone that has legal expertise, right. but they're also looking at someone that can sympathize, empathize, uh, and um, identify with the yeah. struggles of entrepreneurship, oh, yeah. the considerations, the concerns, the having to make payroll, uh, the you know that the, it rests on your shoulder, the pressures, yeah. and uh, the uh, energy uh, and mindfulness that it takes to plan your year, all the things that go into entrepreneurship. So bravo to you uh, that, you know, that uh, there's more to uh, what's sitting uh, before me than just an attorney, just an attorney, you know, but it's an attorney entrepreneur and that's special, I think. No, well, I appreciate that. And I, I consider myself, a, you know, I wear multiple hats, but it's basically the legal work and then being a business owner. Yes. And again, that's why working with the real estate brokers, they almost all are reliant on their own book of business. I yes. mean, there's teams of brokers out there and there's people who are part-time and all that. But still, you know, I feel like I have a synergy or connection with the fact that they're, you're just like me. We're building our business. We're giving quality service to clients. Yeah, and I know how important this deal is that yeah. at the end of the deal is a commission for you for a job well done. And I want to get to the closing table. That's I, exactly you know, this right. is. This so, is important. Every phone call is, you know, it has that kind of energy to it. We're all a business it. owner. We're all in it together. We're all in it together. And then underneath it all is the most important, the heartbeat of it all is is getting the job done for the client. For the client. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But it, it's a big mix. That's why it's always with me, in my opinion, is a team approach. Yeah. You know, when we get a deal in, uh, the contract is usually entered into. And now, you know, somebody's handing over the, you know, the, the wheel to the, the airplane and you've got to land the plane. Yes. But everybody's got to stay still involved. I don't do anything without you know, sending out attorney review letters or making contract suggestions without consulting first with the broker, not just the client, but the broker. 
sometimes in business transactions, you know, there's matters that uh, cross over into a, a, a important accounting considerations, tax considerations, but we're not doing that. I'm not making a recommendation until we have um, consultation and get on the same page with the accountant. So you have to assess what's the job, um, for what, you know, what's the recommendation, and let's get everybody on the same page on our end. And like going to residential real estate, it's a lot of it is mechanical in terms of how the contract's set up, which is very helpful. But the people are all different. The dynamics of the transaction are different. The broker's needs are different. Some don't want to, you know, talk that much. Just you handle it. Let me know if there's a problem. Others, you want to be involved every step of the way, manage their client. Uh, experience so that's what I consider one of my strengths I try yeah. to determine all what's the dynamic here what are the desires of the broker what's the desire of the client let's make everybody feel comfortable again that they're in good hands and let's land that plane and get everybody their money <laughs> well and Harry that's part of the Bartosi brand right I mean uh, you know you have you know you Google real estate attorney a bunch of names show up but then you have to distinguish yourself and I think that you've done a great job of doing that which is, it's not just, you know, transactional click, 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 click. It is that almost every transaction is kind of per, it has a, its own personality for you and you're trying to read the personality. Is that part of the brand, uh, the Bartosiak uh, brand? It is, I think, I guess you would say, for me, it's probably the biggest differentiator. I don't know if it's a differentiator. There's so many good attorneys Of course there. there are, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I mentioned to you, because there's work out there for everybody yep. as long as there's work right now it's a slower time yep. it's a great time to be meeting people and yep. checking in and helping others if possible but in general um, if I have a differentiator I think it's the fact that I do about 50-50 commercial real yes. estate and residential yep. so again with you dealing with all kinds of different people with different needs and challenges on the commercial front it can be anywhere from uh, you know transaction coming in recently can be tens of millions of dollars very sophisticated people a big corporation on one side my client is very knowledgeable so almost telling you here's what I want you to do sure but you better know what you're doing you better get the details right because even that client they want to know they're in good hands mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. especially when the stakes are high dollar figure wise uh, but sometimes the little building or the two flat it's going to be an investor for the first time uh, buyer who's gonna you know then rent out one of the flats or it's a pure investment property they don't know the ins and outs but the transaction is going to be pretty much the same setup as the big multi multi-million dollar deal in terms of title survey you know you have to know what you're doing but that client has a different set of needs and goals and desires and you know, might be a very smart person but they haven't done it before mm -hmm. so you have to assess from the beginning Here's how we're going to handle that, and here's um, and make sure that the client is on board every step of the way. You're going to talk to them and give them information and deliver the service in a different way than you would with the seasoned investor. Mm -hmm. And then on the home sale front, same thing. Some yeah. people have never, but it doesn't matter whether it's 25 million bucks or whether it's a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar condo. If that's your home and that's the first time you've ever bought, or it's the second or third time. That's the most important and probably most stressful thing going on in your life. Right yeah, now. and you're you're ready to step in. Yeah. So you know, I'm for, fortunately after all these years, I've got the breadth of experience to know 
what do we need to get worried about, which is usually not too much. There's, you can solve most problems. And what do we need not to worry about? You know, what are the proper steps? When do we do this? When do we wait? And so you can give them the comfort level they need to relax, know you're in good hands. Still, something bad could happen. But I think then they're going to trust you by that point, knowing that um, you, you, you've given them the knowledge that they need. Or, and even if it's a client says, I don't want to know, just let me know if there's a problem, that helps them too. So that's the trip for me. That is where you know, we've got the knowledge, we know how to do the work. How about the people? Mm. Let's connect with them and give them the service in a way that gives them, uh, you know, it's gonna put a smile on their face. And then of course you try to be reasonable with the fees, they want them to be happy on that too. But usually that all works out, show your value and they're happy uh, uh, with the fee because they're happy with the service. So Harry, if I'm a residential agent and I have, I because residential agents bump into a commercial deal, right? Yeah. You're a person that could add to their uh, level of expertise and compliment uh, and kind of fill the gap of what they don't know. I've noticed that, so maybe speak to that. Well, um, I, I think it, I have a feeling, I'm not sure it's not scientific, but I think that there are residential agents out there who miss commercial opportunities. Yes. Sometimes I think some agents uh, uh, feel that there's some fundamental difference in the way those transactions are held. Well, they could never get involved in those without some kind of specialized training. And I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. Most of them, who uh, agents who work for good brokerages, some, you know, for example, you work with brokerage firms that have commercial agents yes. as a component of the trade. If you can just identify the opportunity and get it into the right hands, uh, you can, you know, there's some very lucrative uh, matters out there that you can take advantage of. For example, uh, if you've got a residential real estate client you find is a business owner and that you know, keep in touch and then you know when, if they're looking to buy a you know, building, industrial yeah. building yeah. or office space or leasing office space, you've got the capability to work with that client. Mm -hmm. If you can talk to an attorney who does those kind of transactions, you find out very quickly that um, most of the components are the same. If it's a buy or a sell, there's a contract, there's a survey, there's title considerations. There's lending involved, lending. but you have a commercial lender right. that we... So yeah. underneath the hood of all those categories, there's differences. Yeah. And but if you get it in the right hands, at the beginning, we know the differences. Talk to if you work for a, a brokerage firm that has some commercial yeah. um, uh, agents. Uh, I know that you know there's a whole system set up for sharing uh, fees Leads. and files. Yeah. So you you would have to know your setup and what you're comfortable with. But that and then title companies can yep. be a great reason. Land trust title is an amazing resource. You get in the hands of the title company and an attorney who's got some experience with commercial transactions, they're going to be able to quickly get you on the right track where you don't have to just ignore the opportunity or punt it out the door. I mean, you can make a lot of money in commercial transactions. Absolutely. And, and, keep, and not lose a client, right? Because all of a sudden right. you refer it out to someone, next thing you know, it's like he's selling his home and you're not a part of it. Oh, because that commercial agent had a buddy who's in residential and blah, 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 and now you've lost the client. So it's a way for you to expand your service just slightly, not get out of your lane, so to speak, yeah. but to keep the business with you. That's right. Take advantage of the opportunity, yeah. even if you have to team up with somebody yeah. in the office. Yeah. Um, then you, you know, I get a lot of referrals from current clients that I did business for. Clients I never even knew 
you know, maybe I got the referral from a broker, then I did a transaction for one client, well, then they recommend me to somebody else. It can work that way with commercial opportunities for residential places too. It's one or two here or there. You can do what you want, but in, if it were me, I would say, don't ignore those opportunities. Try one or two. Mm -hmm. Get with qualified professionals who can help you to see it's not, there is no unworkable magic or mystique to it. Mm -hmm. Again, we get under the hood, it's kind of the same, but every transaction is different. You get some proper guidance. You're smart enough, you know what you're doing. You can uh, work one or two of those transactions and learn the ropes easily. And then get maybe more specialized training if you want to branch off and, and focus more in that area. But uh, there's no reason uh, not to, to look for and seize upon a commercial opportunity. Awesome, so Harry, um, in terms of, do you have residential attorneys that ref, that leverage your commercial expertise? Oh, sure. Yeah. It happens all the time. So that's another aspect of it is that if you're a residential attorney, you're sitting there and so on. I know what Harry says, don't miss opportunity, but I'm residential. I know my, I know what I do. You're also a person that can step in and partner with them. Yes, for sure. Um, and I'm always, you know, I get referrals from other sure. residential attorneys. I, I don't steal anybody's clients. Of course not. don't work that way. Yeah. However, um, we try to complement each other. You know, I have a couple of attorneys who, if uh, turns out they have a, whether it's a commercial opportunity or not, or somebody that needs to create an LLC, yes. limited liability company. Sell or, a business. Yeah, sometimes draft, sell a business, draft yeah. co-ownership agreement, change a shareholders agreement to allow for certain things to happen, maybe as part of a residential scenario. That is in my bailiwick. I basically do three primary things. Resident, residential and commercial real estate, yep. real estate law, business law, of all mm -hmm. types of dimension, mm -hmm. and estate planning, which can include shareholders agreements, include you know wills and trusts, things of that nature. So some colleagues out there are just focused on residential, so happy to help if, yeah. if the need comes. But uh, um, and, and that's great. That expertise, I, I can feel it, Harry. That those all really tie in together in many ways. And so it's great to have someone sitting at the table that you're not just thinking about the transaction and then you got all these other pieces that are important. Yeah. That you, So if you're doing estate and wills and thinking yeah. about those, it also is a part of that transaction and now all of a sudden that expertise just really comes together. Sure, it helps, um, for sure. I met with a client the other day who um, wanted me to look to update their estate plan, for example. and. Show, you know, I talk about, well, what types of assets do you have? What is part of your quote unquote estate? And this particular client had three residential investment properties that he rents out, collects rent in his name, the name of him and his wife. I said, Wait first thing we're yeah. gonna do here is put these in LLCs. You don't wanna have your personal assets at risk. That right. doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, now they were, one of them was in a land trust Okay. Familiar yeah. with land trust. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, that, but that doesn't give you liability protection underlying. So anyway, that kind of base of experience allows Ties me to in. add, you know, instant value because I don't have to go research it. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's try to protect people, set up uh, systems uh, for their if they're a real estate investor, mm -hmm. or even if it's just owning your own home, you're usually not going to set up an LLC. Uh, but people have all kinds of different experience. Maybe they're gonna actually run a business out of there. Maybe they're gonna have clients come into that, you know, this is a two flat scenario. They rent out part of the home. So you gotta be thinking about, um, it's not one size fits all. What's the specific scenario here? What's the need of the client? And then 
is there any kind of business law component consideration or asset protection consideration that we should think about now? Because once it's over with, gets put up on the shelf and this kind of thing, you, you know, can slip by the cracks for years. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's part of it. That's right. where the business law part helps me give people, you know, better service. Fantastic. Okay, Harry, I want to shift to Harry the man. Uh, are there any routines that you have during your day from a professional standpoint or from a personal standpoint that you think are like, this is really vital to get me going, to end the day, middle of the day, whatever it is. Is there anything that is kind of a staple for you? Uh, yes, and it's changing throughout the course sure. of my life. Especially, you know, I'm getting a little bit older now and you realize uh, in terms of the energy that it takes to get through the day. Because you gotta have a lot of energy to get stuff done. Yeah. Whether it's paperwork, or dealing with people, whatever, the, it's not so much a physical job, but the, mentally you have to be sharp and on top of your game. So what I did in my mid, late 20s and 30s is different than what I have to do today to get yeah, to your 40s. Point. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you're very good. But, you know, as I, in, in my 50s, uh, right now, um, you know, stay in reasonably good shape, mm -hmm. get a good night's sleep, I don't think about these things here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. now I realize it's like garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. You know, and you can't have too many days where you're at the top of your game. I mean, sometimes you're not going to get the best night's sleep you can't afford. But anyway, I try to stay, give myself a fighting chance for the okay. day. So you you pay attention to your physical fitness. Yes. You pay attention to your sleep. Anything else? Yeah. I think that um, it's a, a matter of mental organization. Of yes. Day. So I've read many self-help books over the years and time management, and I found that over, the, I distilled them down, there seemed to be certain fundamental truths for me. Certain yeah, things were, work for you. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's all, a lot of that stuff seems to me to be the same, but in different packages. Sure, yeah. so, I agree with you. So what I like to do is I realize that I have a full tank of gas in the morning and it's gonna go down from there. Now you do what you gotta do and it might work long days, yep. but, I try to tackle the most difficult tasks at the beginning of the day. Um, and then towards the end of the day, I leave time for planning for the next day, or maybe more ministerial tasks that not as much brain power when we're, you know, hey, it's been a rough one, we're right. tired, but we can yep. still print out this stuff for, yep. for tomorrow. Yep. Uh, but at the beginning of the day, you know, it, it, it's where the creative flow is, it's where the energy, for me, where thinking power. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like that, but that's powerful that you are aware of that and kind of plan your day that way. And it takes time to figure that out, but I think for sure I figured that yeah. out about me. I had a colleague I worked with for a long time, Doug was his name, and um, he was the opposite. You know, his light came on, you know, uh, when the, the sun went down. Yes, you know, yes, that's, many that's a big yeah. of a yin and a yang. My wife and I are a lot like that. Yeah. yeah, so, but in terms of what I need to do, you know, obviously you have things that are like burning brush yeah. fires on your desk, oh my God. So, okay, so that we're gonna have a list of things. We might not get through all of them, but we're gonna have A, B, and C. You know, we're gonna get all the A's done. Yeah. And I mean, out of the A's, what's one, two, three, four, the most important thing. So once we can get the most important, and sometimes by level of importance, it's just has to, there's a deadline, it has mm -hmm. to be done today, that letter has to go out. Mm -hmm. Or it might be, this is, you, this matter, you know, I need to get the client something today so that they are continuing comfortable. I need to make contact. Or sometimes it's just a big project that we can't wait till the last minute, so it has to be prioritized. But I'm a natural, some would say, I would say, uh, obsessive list maker. And so I get some comfort as we go, you know, the technology is wonderful, but I still make written lists as I go. Daily I like to, that. To make sure we're tracking 
because then you can see the results of the work. And again, what I do is a lot of this paperwork, and I, not that I forget, but I need to see the real results. We're getting the job done on all these as we go. And if for some reason something didn't get done, well, that's going to the top of the list for the next day. So that's I, great. You know, I don't, that gives, that's like my security. Blanket. Yeah, that works for you. So. Well, you know, it's interesting too that, you know, procrastination in your world would probably be uh, wait, not doing that stuff in the morning and then, you know, hoping you get it done in the afternoon. In the afternoon, you're like, screw it, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I don't have it. I don't have the energy. I don't want, but I'm sure you still get the job done. But the idea is, well, I'm going to front load my day, knock out the big stuff. And then I'm going to kind of coast to the end of the day to make sure I get everything done. And so it's just a matter of where am I going to slot the the items that I need to get done. That's exactly right. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect and I of course don't not. procrastinate. Matter no. of fact, let's face it, procrastination is human nature. There are certain unpleasant tasks that we have to tackle 100%. that you want to put off. Yep. So it's a constant battle. Yep. You have to keep yourself honest. For all of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you just keep working on it and keep improving. Yes. You know? Um, and but yeah, so and be kind to yourself too, right? Because at the end of the day, if there's a couple of things on the list, it's like you can't tailspin in the depression. It's like okay, I'm gonna put those in tomorrow. We're gonna tackle it again tomorrow. You know what I mean? We're not delivering uh, livers and uh, kidneys here. Right. You know we're you know so anyway. You you just hit on something. You really need to be kind to yourself. Yeah. One of my mentors, Tom, uh, attorney I work with, said something along those lines to me because, you know, it, it's the same with what you do, what the agents do. It's high stress stuff. Yes. You know, even if we're on automatic, oh, this is no big deal. I just crank it. Yes. It, it, it ain't, you know, at the end of the day, I feel the stress. I because you're doing important stuff for people. They've entrusted it to you. You know, it's not just paperwork. Right. So it can take its toll, and you need to take a deep breath, and you need to go walk the dog. You need to, I take a break, play the guitar, whatever yes. you need to do. Buddy, I like that. Um, I mean, yeah. and just say, you know, it's all right. You know, we didn't have a perfect day. We basically you know, showed up. Yeah, yeah. We're trying and making progress, and then you know, look back and you're getting the job. Then you know when there's a big problem. But you gotta just, you know, nobody's perfect. Yep. Nobody's expected to be perfect, but we try. Like Vince Lombardi said, uh, we're gonna chase perfection and catch excellence. I like that. Yeah, so I, I kind of like that. Yeah, that's so great. That was in one of those self-help books. All right, that's good. I like that. I'm going to borrow that. Um, so Harry, you have a podcast as well, yeah. uh, which I found out just maybe a month ago. And tell us a little bit about that because it's a fascinating uh, thing. And you mentioned uh, an old television show was kind of the inspiration yeah. for you to be a lawyer. Right. And so tell well, us about that. So um, as I kind of hinted at, I spent a lot of my formative years watching TV mm -hmm. on the couch, which was a lot of fun. And actually, mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't change anything about my childhood. I'm not saying I was a terrible student, but let's just sure. say I had my share of uh, diversions. Mm -hmm. So uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jim Sion is his name. He's a jazz musician in um, New Orleans, but uh, for many years was a uh, weatherman in Fort Myers, Fort Myers, Florida. And he was originally, he and I knew each other from high school around here. Uh, he contacted me during COVID and he and I are kind of, um, as you would say, television geeks, uh, especially for shows anywhere from the 60s, which we were watching in reruns while we were going, sure. you know, anywhere from Lost in Space, The, the Rifleman, The Cisco yep. Kid, all yep. this stuff. That yep. just, there's only three or four channels. I mean, yep. uh, so you're watching anything that's on there to, in, into the 70s, The Love Boat, Eight is Enough, Fantasy Island, you know. Yes. And then um, the plane? kind of our area of interest <clears throat> cuts off about the early 90s or so. Okay. 
we talk about it. But basically, um, Jim knows everything. He's kind of, he reads books upon books about celebrities. You know, he reads a book at night, you know, two or three nights a week reading about Lucille Ball or about Frank Sinatra's parties and just loves that kind of stuff. That's great. And I just, that's what was ingrained to me growing up yeah. was uh, pop culture and television and I love sports and all that. Sure. So anyway, we started during COVID a podcast where we called it Down the TV Rabbit Hole, where we just geek out basically uh, with our remembrances and we do research uh, into the old TV shows yeah. that we watch. He'll pick one, I'll pick one, we won't know what uh, show we're going to talk about. For example, one time I'll pick Green Acres and he picked The Honeymooners. And, okay. And then we give a report on the show, you know, how long it was on, what network it was on, but most of the fundamentals... And then he, he might fill in some of the uh, yeah. in, in, uh, some of the nuances of the people and the things that the, the celebrities... Yeah, uh, and then he, yeah, right, we'll go back and forth. And that's yeah. where I found out that he's always reading these books because okay. he's got all these gold nuggets. And I go a lot on my... Uh, my recollection and we would look at wicked but um i think you know we've never made a dime and that's not our yeah, intent yeah. uh it's fun it's one of these releases so them it's completely frivolous a great way to waste an hour or two if you want to yes. listen to it yes. and put a smile on your face if you like that kind of stuff and we've had some great feedback but um because i said we're doing on the legal side do all this important work but you gotta have your Diversions yeah. where you take a deep breath and, uh, and let some of that creativity yeah. flow out so you have room for more. Exactly. Right? Right. So, what you hear on that podcast has nothing to do, yeah. except he makes jokes about how I should have consulted with uh, Eddie Albert on Green Acres so uh, by that farm he didn't get. Zsa Zsa Gabor, right? Yeah. Was, was it Zsa Zsa? It was her fault. She forced okay. the transaction. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, um, other than that, um, and what's the name of the podcast? Oh, down the TV rabbit. Down the TV it's rabbit on, hole, and it's on. You can get it on Spotify or right. Odyssey. Oh, we'll put a link in the uh, show notes. Yeah. So, okay, Harry, if, uh, if 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 you're in the final four of the NCAA championship and the Hawkeyes are playing the Ramblers, uh -huh. who are you pulling for? So yeah, so that's an interesting question. I would say it's for sure going to be uh, the Ramblers. But I'm going to be somewhat conflicted because my son goes to Iowa. Now, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So. So Grace, uh, Grace's daughter goes to Iowa. Grace, who's our, oh, yeah. uh, who's our leader of our operation team. Really? So. But don't tell her I said that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I would say I'm like. Uh, and the Ramblers were most recently in the Final Four. Is yeah. that is that what's kind of tipping your scales that way? Well, I think it's. I, I went. I actually finished my undergrad there. And okay. Then, and then I went to you know to. Uh, Law school there, and I, we still. I just couldn't believe that they made the final four. I still can't. I okay. think that might be some kind of a conspiracy. Theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I just had a little bit more of a local connection living here my whole life. Having said that, it's super close. Yes. Iowa, okay. A great place, and uh, love it. And but uh, there, there wouldn't be much conflict. I'd be basically just you know dancing in the streets, no matter who won that one. Okay. What a cliche answer, but it pretty much would be true. Okay. Don't ask me about the Cubs and the Sox. I'll make half the people mad out there. Okay. <laughs> I do usually ask that question. Is it Cubs or Sox? I, I would guess you're a Cubs fan. I'm a Cubs fan. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because so, you're, you're kind of North Sire. Uh, um, all right. So um, you say you play guitar. So if we, you know, every year Spotify does this thing, yeah. does kind of the recap of how you listened. Really? Yeah. Yes. So if, so let's just do the recap. What is the number one uh, band that you listen? If you if you think Spotify recorded, how, how do you listen to music? If you listen to music on Spotify, okay. So 
What's your number one? Asking me this question at yeah. my current age in 2003 is much different than most of my life. Sure. I, I was uh, in a rock band for quite a while. Wow. Listened to all kinds of alternative music in yep. the 80s, but now I have my own jazz group, or at least I'm a part of a jazz group where we play instrumentals. So I'm listening to Wes Montgomery and Kenny Burrell and George Benson and Horace Silver. That's and fantastic. WDC, and so opening up a whole new world of music that wow. years ago I thought, jazz, are you kidding me? It was, uh -huh. it was almost like a, you know, you hear these people where they're walking down the street and get hit in the head with a brick and then they lose their memory or uh -huh. something. It's like that happened to me and so all of a sudden I like jazz music. Yeah, so, but, it's, but, but yeah. when you discover jazz, yeah. like the way that you are, it's like it doesn't matter when you when it came out because it's brand new for you. Right. And so you're like you're tapping into a whole new. It's vista. level upon level of realizing it's not just random notes. No, yeah. Not at all. <coughs> uh, there is some like that, but that's a different. Yeah. Jazz. But yeah. So I'm having the time of my life, actively listening, figuring as I'm a player uh, too. Yes. It's a different kind of listening that goes on and I'm one of those people like that's why I play guitar because when I listen to music I want to play it I, I don't want to do it myself yes, yes. Uh, and, and so and so uh, can people see you play not yet but coming soon okay um, you can't we wanted to make sure we're ready for prime time so okay and I think we are uh, so the name of the group is green olives okay and we should be playing around the city or northwest suburbs sometime in 2023 and I'll have a wow Watch for social media or bartosiaclaw.com. I'll put something on there. Okay, fantastic, Harry. I'm glad we learned that about you. Well, okay, so uh, we're going to wrap up with Harry Bartosiak from Bartosiak Law. It's our pleasure, Harry. Uh, thanks for being a part of the podcast, and we just appreciate your partnership as well. And thank you for all you've uh, done for my practice. I'm a big fan of Land Trust Title, and, uh, and uh, you've been a great help to me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk today. Great. Thank you. Thanks.